to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Church, we uh, have something special today. We have a special guest speaker. She is the leader of our women's ministry. She's here to bring the Word. Give it up for Nicole Dickey. Good morning. How are you guys? Happy New Year. It's our first VBF gathering of 2024. I have all those dad jokes for you. Like, I haven't seen you in a year, you know. Um, But let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord God, we come before you and we just thank you for the honor of another opportunity to gather before you and just to hear your word. Lord, anoint me. Let it not be my words, but your words. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit today about God's resolutions. I struggle a little bit with this time of year. My birthday was on Friday, and every year it falls right after New Year's, and so I have these like mental spirals of like, what am I doing? And now I've got New Year's resolutions, and then I'm another year older, and I go in this mental like craziness because I'm a planner, and I'm a doer, and I like to get things done, and have I done what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I need to accomplish more? And so I want to bring you to where God has been bringing me over the last handful of years. This isn't something that's been a one-time thing, but he's been working on me. And that is God's resolutions. Resolution is defined as a firm decision to do or not to do something. We're going to call it plans. God's plans for your life. Do you know God's plans for your life? A lot of us can say, I may know God's plans for the next hour or two hours from now, but do I know his plans? A lot of us can say, maybe not quite. See, resolutions for us a lot of times are like the small decisions. We think of uh, bad habits, right? Okay, maybe you made a resolution that I'm going to stop biting my nails or I'm going to start watching my language or maybe it's a health resolution. I'm going to start eating better, or I'm going to start exercising more, or drink more water. Perhaps it's a, it's a mental health, and I'm going to get off social media, or I'm going to get outside more, or I'm going to read more books. And, and how many of you made a resolution this year, January 1st? Okay, not many of you. How many of you are anti-resolution people? You're like, it's just easier. You know what? I want to tell you guys, I've looked up the statistics of resolutions, and you're probably better just not making them, um, because they, we all tend to fade away from those. But I looked at the scriptures because I thought, what do scriptures say about these resolutions? And and when I see words from David that says, I am determined not to sin with my mouth in Psalm 17, 3. Or or when Paul says, I have a desire in my heart to continue to do what is good. Like, I look at all this, I'm like, they made resolutions. They made plans of things that they weren't going to do or things that they they were going to do. But there was a common thread in all of these resolutions, these plans that people made in the scriptures. And that was, it was to glorify God. That was the common thread. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy is a, is a young guy in the church. And, and Paul is trying to encourage him. And he says, But stay away from worthless stories that are typical of old women. Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, I laughed a little bit of that, stay away from worthless stories from the typical of old women. I had to look into that. I'm like, what is he talking about? You know when somebody tries to sell you something that's too good to be true? 
And guess what? It's too good to be true. I'm pretty sure right now you could sell my little boys, they're age seven and nine, you could sell them beachfront property in Bakersfield. They will, they will just agree to everything. My husband over the last year and a half, it's been a long time, he's lost 50 pounds. And people will come up to him, I know it's an accomplishment, right? People will come up to me and say, tell me how you did it. And you know what he'll look at him and say, diet, exercise and just you can't give up. And, and they don't want to hear that. Why? Because everybody wants the just take the pill and the fat just falls away. And, and somehow my boys got an advertisement like that of like this pill. Daddy, you don't have to run on the treadmill anymore. And he's like, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy. If, if somebody's trying to sell you something, it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Instead, rather discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. He goes on with verse eight. For bodily training is just slightly beneficial. There you go. For those of you who are like, I really don't want to work out, okay? Um, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, Paul's not saying, hey, don't value the physical. He's saying, hey, you need to prioritize the spiritual over the physical, why? Because one is actually good into eternity. Now, when we look at this, we can say, okay, well, hey, we have modern technology. You can actually run on the treadmill and listen to the Word of God these days, which is great. But when it comes down to are you going to get up in the morning and are you going to spend time with God or are you going to go do something different for the body, then which should, which should be your priority? It should always be the spiritual. That is what Paul is telling him. Train for godliness. But today I want to talk to you about like the big things, okay? The big plans. Because there are certain things within our scope, and those are the things that are easier to say, oh, I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to do this. But what about the things that are not within our scope? Those plans that we would love 2024 to hold. Like this, this is the year I'm going to make more money, even though everything just keeps getting more expensive. <laughs> You're like, I'm really drying here. This, this is the year I'm going to buy a house and the interest rates just keep going up. Or, or this is the year I'm going to meet my spouse. This is the year I'm going to start my family. All these things that we're like, Lord, I have plans, but they're just not within my control. Well, the world's going to tell you that you can manifest them. Have you heard about this? That you can think positive thoughts enough to make something happen. Okay, so I have a red minivan. And when I say my red minivan has been around the block, <laughs> it has been around the block. The paint is chipping on the top. It has got bumps and bruises. Um, it has goldfish that are just dug in cracks that I have had it cleaned and they are not coming out, okay? They will be there until the day that thing goes to the cruncher, okay? The other day I was at the kids' school and, and a bush jumped out in front of me. <laughs> like just, and I could just hear the scrapes going along and I'm like, oh! And I went and looked, and I wasn't sure if I scraped it or if I just took off the first level of dirt because it's not due for its annual car wash yet. <laughs> but the great thing about my minivan is it's been around the block, and I don't have to worry about a bush jumping out in front of me because it's, it's already got plenty of scrapes on it. But I'm telling you what, would I love for that thing to look something different? Would I love for it to be a beautiful, sparkling white SUV? Well, yeah. If I think about it enough, if I put posters all over it, and if I imagine it, is it going to turn into something different? Well, no, I'm still going to go out and there's going to be my red SUV that's all beat up. I'm not talking about that it's not good to have positive thoughts or have goals. That is good. But what I am saying is this. When we put ourselves that we start to control our own life with our own thoughts and we take God out of the center of the universe and we put ourselves in the center of the universe, that is actually against the word of God. 
And so we need to go back and say, Lord, yeah, I'd love for that to look different, but what does your word say? What do you want for me? What is your will for my life? I don't want to think something and try to make something happen that is outside of your will. You see, this whole thing is actually not about the people that are within it. It's about a God of the universe and how he interacts with the people within it. He is the center of this book. He should be the center of our life. That's why that first commandment, what does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He is the center. And that's what it's like when we make plans. But I look back at the scriptures and just to pick out a couple of the scriptures when they talk about making plans. Proverbs 16.1, it says this, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. Go ahead, it's not wrong to make plans, but allow God to give the answer on if that plan is okay or not. Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of the person plans his ways, but the Lord directs his step. It's okay. God knows your mind is going to make plans, but get ready. If that step is there or if it's not there, know that that's the Lord. See, we have to know that he truly knows what's best for us. Do you believe that? That God truly knows what's best for you. And then there's this verse in Proverbs that continues on still in chapter 16 that says, 16, 3, it says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And I thought, yes, because I want my plans to succeed. So what do I need to do? I need to commit my actions to the Lord. And I thought, this is good. Okay, Lord, here's my plans. Bless them. Let's go, right? I get this. And now they're going to succeed. But I thought, that doesn't seem exactly biblical. So let me look up what this word commit means. And I looked it up in the Hebrew. It's this word galal. And it, it means to roll to roll away. And I thought, oh, that's weird. That doesn't make sense. So then I went, after looking at a couple internet sources, I'm like, no, it says that's the right definition. I went to my, I got the bookshelf of the big giant, you know, Hebrew words, and I'm looking it up, and I'm like, yeah, to roll, roll away. And I'm like, this still doesn't make sense. So then I started researching it more and seeing what other theologians thought of this, this word galal, and, and then it hit me. See, they didn't have books like this back in this time. What do they have? What do they write on? They were on scrolls. So for all you journalers out there, you just got some edification. Write it down. Roll it up. Roll it away. That is what commit means. Commit your plans. Write them down. Roll them up. Give them away to the Lord. And if he gives them back to you, you will succeed in those things. That is what that truly means. So as we're talking about God's plan, I want to dig into just the beginning of the life of Moses. Now, short like promo, I've been digging into the life of Miriam because we're going to be talking about her at the Mighty Women Gathering on Tuesday. So if you want to hear about the life of Miriam, please come. I have something so heavy to lay that God has laid on my heart. So 9.30, 6 o'clock this Tuesday. But today we're going into Moses because you can't study Miriam without studying Moses. And, and as God was revealing some things at the beginning of his life, I just thought, this is so cool because would you say that God had a plan for Moses' life? I mean, absolutely. But would Moses say <laughs> that God had a plan for his life? Well, it depends on what season. You see, we're going to start in Exodus 2, verses 11 through 12. And interesting enough, we have Exodus 2, but we also have Acts 7, when Stephen talks about Moses' life. And when we compare the scriptures, we get a beautiful illustration of what is going on. So Exodus 2, 11 through 12 says this. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, understanding that he knew that he was a Hebrew living in the Egyptian palace. Remember, he is now the prince, one of the princes of Egypt. 
the Hebrews, his own people. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Now, Acts 7, verses 22 through 24 says this, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Combining these, we learn that the Moses was 40 years old. Now, their lifespan was actually typical of our lifespan, so that would still be considered probably middle age. He had head knowledge. He says here that he was great in speech, and he was strong. I mean, he killed an Egyptian all by himself, correct? But it also lets me know that this was something he had to think through. Why? It says he looked all around to make sure nobody was watching. This was something that he could have probably stopped himself if it was just a moment of rage. And it lets me know that perhaps this came from a place of Moses, a burden, a passion, knowing that these were his people, and this was how they were being treated. The scriptures will also let us know that he knew the risk. Like, this was a risky move. When Pharaoh comes after him, or when Pharaoh finds out, he immediately starts fleeing. So he knew, he knew that this could mean death, but he still did it. It had to come from a place of burden, a place of passion. But this was also him planning without God, right? This was Moses' plan. This wasn't God's plan, but could it be justified? Was But he said, this is God's people. I am doing something to help God. I mean, this would line up with the heart of God. I mean, did it really seem like a bad plan? Let's think about this. I mean, he was an eloquent speaker. He was trained by the best of the best. He was, his education would be top notch. He was great at speaking. He was great at combat. He could take out one guy single-handedly and bury him in the sand, no big deal says, taught by all the wisdom of the Egyptians, powerful in both speech and action. He had political clout. He had military knowledge. He had physical gifting. And he had a burden for his people. I mean, wouldn't this be the perfect time for God to show up and say, this is the man I am using? Well, let me tell you something I have learned over the years about God's plan. The first point is this. It doesn't always operate at perfect timing. See, this was man's perfect timing, but this was not God's perfect timing. Why? Well, it says that he was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But what about the wisdom of the Israelites, the Hebrew and the God, the one true God? You see, the Egyptians believed in multiple gods, and most likely, he probably took his God, the true God, as one of the gods. But God's going, no, 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 no. (laughs) I'm a jealous God. You're not quite ready yet and I am willing to wait until I become first and only in your life. And that is what's going on, because we see in Acts 7, verse 25, it says, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. But did God really send Moses in that moment? See, Exodus 2, 13 through 15 says, the next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting, Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. 
Okay, first of all, Moses returned to the scene of the crime. I mean, isn't there some like unwritten law that you just don't return to the scene of the crime? But he did, and not even like, he didn't even wait like a period of time, like he went the next day. And I look at that and what does that tell me? He was pretty confident that these Hebrew people would go, woohoo, we are so glad you're here, you're, you're the man, you are the man. But that's not what happened at all. In fact, everything starts to unravel on Moses. Not only are the Hebrew people going, you're not our guy, but also Pharaoh, who is either, timeline-wise, is either his adopted dad or his adopted grandfather, we're not quite sure, um, but that's his family, is trying to kill him. It's not good. It's not a good time for him. So he, he actually has to run. See, 40-year-old Moses has 40-year-old Moses in the center of his world. And God's saying, I'm willing to wait, but I am not going to give up on you because he sends him into the desert. And that is where Moses just happens to find a woman to marry that he falls in love with, who just happens to have a priest as a father-in-law who is going to train him up on what it's like to follow the one true God. He is about ready to have the training that he has never had before. See, Acts 7, verse 30 says, For 40 years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. Okay, so 40 years, he takes out the Egyptian. He goes in the wilderness. 40 years later, he is now 80 years old. 80 years old. And by the way, what does this last 40 years, is, has it been a success? I mean, the Israelites are still in slavery. Things have not changed. And now maybe Moses can look and say, I've lost all my political clout. I've, I've lost all my power. I even, even lost my strength. I'm an 80-year-old man now. What do I have? Well, I'm going to bring to you the second point that God has taught me over the years and that God's plans, they take time. They take time. You see, he was in the wasteland, but it was not a waste. God made sure that there was purpose in that time, and God was building him up. So I'm going to tell you guys, if you feel like you're in a period of life where you just can't get ahead, and you're like, I am just stuck, God will use that. No time is wasted when you give that time to the Lord. And that's exactly what Moses, he is studying, he is learning. And in that 40 years, Moses is becoming the man that God knew he could become. He was becoming a man who knew God. At 40, Moses was powerful in body, but weak in spirit. At 80, Moses is weak in body, but he is powerful in spirit. Which one would you want to follow? I run all my sermons by Pastor Ron, and, and him and I were talking this week about this, and I was giving him the points and talking through it. And one thing he said, he said, Nikki, this world would tell us that 40-year-old Moses is the one to follow. That the looks and the way you speak and all that, that, that is what matters more than anything. But truly what matters is somebody's spiritual walk with the Lord and where they're going to guide you. And I said, it's so true. What do we really value when we're looking for somebody to lead us? See, God knows you need somebody with God as the center of their life to bring you closer to the Lord. And for Moses, this meant time. For us, that also means time. Why? Because Good things take a little bit of time, if you notice that. And they're worth the wait. I don't know if you guys realize this in your life, but God definitely doesn't have the same timeline I do. I keep telling him this is the perfect time, <laughs> and it just doesn't happen. But that's okay, because when the perfect time does come, I say thank you, Lord, for allowing me not to take that matter into my own hands. 
And it's not just my life. It's probably not just your life. It's all over this. I mean, Abraham and Sarah were promised a child, and they waited, and they waited, and waited until their old age. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they begged God for a child without the promise, and, and God still provided, but, but in their old age. Joseph, he waited for that dream to come a reality. Job, man, he waited through suffering after suffering for God to come through. David, David was promised as king and waited and waited and waited until they finally wore that crown. Noah, you know, it took Noah roughly about 75 years to build that ark. 75 years he waited with never a drop of rain in the sky. But the wait... The wait sometimes is what saves our life later because we're preparing for something. God is guiding us. He is helping us learn something. And I'm going to tell you what, that I don't believe Moses could have led thousands of people close to that promised land if it wasn't for this 40 years where God gave him the foundation of this walk with him. So don't underestimate what may seem like your wasteland. See, now Moses is just an ordinary man. He's a shepherd, has a very ordinary job. He is a husband. He is a father. And God says, this is the Moses I want to free my people. See, Exodus 3, 9 through 11, after God has shown up in this burning bush, he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Do you see the humility coming out of this man? Exodus 3 and 4, you just keep reading, and and we don't even have time today, but if you just kept reading, you would see that he just keeps arguing back and forth with God. I am not the man, and God keeps giving him miracle, miracle, say, you are the man, I am not the man, you are the man. In Exodus 4, 10 through 12, it says, Moses pleaded, with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And now, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I'm getting tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. See, God, God was actually calling Moses out of his comfort zone because before when Moses killed that Egyptian, he was working right within his comfort zone. He was confident. And now God is actually calling Moses out of his comfort zone of being a shepherd and being a father. And he is calling him into something that is going to test him. See, God's plans will value your character over your comfort, point three. Value your character over your comfort. Um, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> my plans tend to value my comfort more than my character. <laughs> Lord, I could use this. I could, we could, this could get done. This could get done. I mean, here's my plans. And, and God's like, that's all great. But my plans are going after what's in here. My plans are stretching you and molding you into the woman or the man that I want you to be. Oh, I tried to find a scripture for you guys or a story of where like, God called somebody straight into their comfort zone. It was the easiest thing they could do. <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> like this, this book is made up of all these stories of people who are like, oh Lord, it's gotta be you because this is not me. It's not me. You see, this is the last point I wanna leave with you guys today is that God's plans are his. They're his. They're his. 
Why? Because he wants the glory. Remember, it's all about him. He's the sinner. He wants the glory, not man. Ephesians 2, 9 through 10 says this. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I want you to hear that because some of us may be in different boats. And you're like, Nikki, you're talking about plans and and that's great, but I'm just not sure that God has plans for my life. This doesn't say, so for the 20% of you that God has planned good things for, you, you are a creation of God. He has plans for you, plans that he planned for you long ago. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And he wants these plans to come to fruition because he knows that it's not about you getting the glory, it's about God getting the glory. Where God works, no man can boast, right? Have you had a situation in your life where you're like, whoa, that was not me. <laughs> you guys, this right here is not me. I can look and go, God, you're so good. You're so good. To be able to have a moment where you're like, I know that that was just a moment where God planned to be used for me to be used by the Lord. But some of us, it's hard for us to plan. Because we think, I just don't know what I have. Where We're sitting in Moses' spot and we're arguing with the Lord the way Moses did. And you say, Lord, I am too poor. I know you want me to go buy that guy's meal, but I am way too poor for that. And you know what he says? He says, well, so is Ruth. So is Naomi. <laughs> so were every single one of the disciples. <laughs> or maybe you say, Lord, I'm just too tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. He says, okay. So is Job. So is Elijah. I'm, I'm too insecure. I, I can't speak. Or, or you want me to go tell that person a word from the Lord? Lord? Lord, I can't do that. I'm way too insecure. And God says, well, so is Moses. So is Gideon. I'm too young. Nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to give me a time of day. I, I'm just a, a youngin. So is Mary. So is Timothy. So was John. Maybe you say, I'm too old, Lord. Just too old. I just want to just enjoy the rest of my life in quiet. He says, oh, yeah, but so was Abraham. So was Sarah. So was Noah. See, the moment we say, Lord, I'm too poor, I'm too tired, I'm too insecure, I'm too young, I'm too old, God says, perfect. <gasps> perfect. <laughs> because it's not about you. It's about me, and I can't wait to come in. <laughs> and get the glory for what I'm gonna do through your life. I have two grandmas that are both, well, I, both my grandmas are still living. One in Maine, a little tiny town in Maine. She's 94 years old, she's gonna be 95 in a couple months. And she still works at the Missionary Aid Society for her church. She still makes quilts for all the new babies. She's still making meals for people that need it. My other grandma in Indiana in a small town in her little church, she runs the food pantry. And she's work, she has a dedicated day. She goes in and she makes sure everybody who comes in is loaded with food. She still makes meals for people. She still calls the shut-ins. Both my grandmas are firecrackers for the Lord. And they are not done. They know that God still has plans for them. And, and believe me, both these women, until the day that Lord ushers them right into to heaven's gates, they're not going to stop pursuing God's plans for their life. And I want to be that same way. 
I wanna go, Lord, I am never done. What do you have for me? But then I go back and I'm like, Lord, I also, I'm a doer, guys. I'm a planner. I wanna mark things off. I wanna accomplish things. And that's where I go back and go, but am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? See, there's a difference between complacency and something that God's called me to pray for, which is um, contentment. You see, complacency says, it's like, I always imagine it this way. It's like you're in a boat in the middle of a stream. And complacency is you laying down in this boat and going, whatever, wherever you want to take me, I'm just along for the ride. But contentment, contentment's in that same boat. And you're sitting there like this, okay, Lord, we're not moving anywhere. This water's a little still. But you know what? Okay, what do you want to teach me? Oh, look at that bird. Oh, Lord, what do you want to, let's, let's talk. Let's see, what, what do you want me to learn from this moment? Oh, there's an oar in the boat. Oh, I'm not supposed to touch it. Okay, okay, all right. Like, let's just, I'm content. This is good. But Lord, what do you have for me right here? And this is what I've been praying. I'm like, Lord, sometimes I don't want to be like Moses and take plans into my own hands too early. I want to be content right where you have me, right what you're teaching me in this moment and not rush this moment. And from the outside, complacency and contentment could look like two different things when you're just staring at somebody in a boat from far away. But the heart, the heart of the man is what matters. It's okay to plan, guys. It's okay to set goals. But the scriptures tell us, submit every action to the Lord. Lord, you want me to keep going. And maybe we're sitting in that boat and we're like, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. So I'm praying for contentment. And we just happen to open. And this is what I've been praying over my life. Psalm 23, one through three. And you're sitting in your boat. I'm going to read it from my Bible right here. And you're like, okay, Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Lord, just guide me. Guide me to whatever path you want me to go. And it's there, it's there that I will bring honor to your name. And when those burdens and those dreams and those passions get so heavy, we write them down, we roll them up, and we still submit them to the Lord. See, God's plans are always going to be better than our plans. Hudson Taylor, he's a missionary, was a missionary. He was born in 1832. He was somebody that, and when I was in my master's studying theological studies, we studied this man because he was amazing at spreading the gospel. But he said, three, you have three ways to make plans. This is a quote from him. He said, first, you can make your best plans and you can just go carry them out. That's the first way to make plans. The second way is you can make careful plans and you could say, Lord, please bless this. I'm making these plans. It may not be what you want. In fact, maybe it doesn't quite even go with the word of God, but, but Lord, just, just, can you just bless these plans, please? Or the third way is where you begin with God. You ask him, Lord, what are your plans? And then we say, I am offering myself to help carry out your plans. Use me as a vessel. I'm gonna tell you what, we don't know God's plans for our lives, why? Because if he told you where you would be 10 years from now, if you submitted every action over to him for his plans, it would probably scare you. You probably would stop you in your tracks and say, Lord, I don't know if I can actually become that or, or, or do that. So God doesn't, he gives you one step at a time and then another step at a time. And then all of a sudden you look back 10 years ago and you go, wow, 
Look how far he has taken me. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know the, God, the plans God has for you? Have you asked him, Lord, what are the plans you have for me? Allow me to dream with you, but allow me to also submit them to you. If you've got your own dreams, submit them to the Lord. Because God's resolution, his plans for your life will always be bigger and better than you could ever dream of. Make him the center and find contentment even in the times of life when you feel like there is stillness. Allow him to guide you and mold you into the men and women that God is making you to be. Does it help a little bit of those resolutions that maybe we already gave up on? Yeah? Well, let's close in prayer. Lord God, we come before you and we just thank you for the ability that you desire us to plan and a dream. But Lord, we thank you that you care about us so much that your plans and your dreams are bigger. They're bigger than what we could fathom. Lord, we just pray right now. I pray a blessing over my friends. I pray that if they don't have ideas of, of how they could grow with you, Lord, I just pray right now that you will inspire them. You will inspire them to live a life that brings glory to you. Thank you, Lord, for the time to gather together and get into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is I